This podcast was made possible thanks to Drama Victoria. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are very lucky to be speaking with Susie Thomas. Susie Thomas is a teaching artist at Melbourne Theatre Company and was a previous head of education and families at Melbourne Theatre Company. She was also a guest director at the Prep Course Play Project at National Theatre Drama School. Susie takes us through her process as a director from the pre-planning stage into the interpretation phase and beyond. In this episode, we talk through a number of things like analysis, context, structure, events, and interpretation. Without further ado, I bring you an interview with Susie Thomas. Let's get to it. So we are so lucky to welcome to the podcast, Susie Thomas, and she's going to be speaking to us about analysis and different tools that can be used in the pre-planning stages when putting on a play. Welcome to the podcast, Susie Thomas. Thank you, Nick. It's lovely to be here. Uh, So you and I, lucky enough to have recently done a few gigs around regional Victoria with Melbourne Theatre Company, um, Mm -hmm. teacher as artist. And we're here to talk about some of those tools that you taught in that workshop and some things that students and teachers could take away when deciding to put on a play and some of those early planning processes that they could go through, things that you do as a director and artist. Yes, that's right. So, um, yeah, we were tasked with going out to the regions and giving some kind of practical um, advice to teachers in terms of directing, whether they're doing it themselves or Uh, helping students to learn how to direct Um, and um, I I guess admitted how uh, much I like spreadsheets and um, analysis and all of the boring stuff that uh, that goes with it Uh, and it's a little bit I guess my methods of when I first look at a script a little bit um, like more like an English teacher probably than a drama teacher, uh, looking at really trying to take the script apart and um, pull out, you know, mine the script, pull out all of the information that I can find and really catalogue it at the start. I find that it's a really good tool um, before jumping into interpretation because I think that um, as artists or directors or students even we can often read a script and you know our mind races ahead to all of the fantastic things that we're going to do who we get the cast how it's going to look you know maybe even the practical considerations of how we're going to get the thing on um, and that we can rush ahead to those decisions without taking the time to really uh, look at the script and look at it um, as objectively as possible and think about what the playwright was trying to say with this piece of work and what kind of context they were working in. So um, the, the analysis work, I mean, there's always a little bit of interpretation in there because um, you're looking at it, I guess, through your own lens. Um, but I guess I'd look at four categories. So like the context, um, the world of the play, the characters that inhabit the play and the structure of how the story is told. And then I guess probably veering a little bit into the interpretive side of things is looking at events so the trigger event and then the key events that happen throughout the play and when you look at all these things obviously that's going to help influence your interpretation later jumping straight to an interpretation without doing these things will mean you'll have blind spots and yeah necessarily look at the heart of the piece or your version of the heart of the piece yeah that's right i think it helps you to really honor 
um, the playwright's voice. Um, so that you're not just painting on your own interpretation without really taking the time to hear the, the, the voice of the, pl the playwright, the voice of the play, like what is this play on its own before I do anything to it. Um, yeah, so the kind of things that I would look at in terms of um, the context would be things like, you know, if you had to describe, like if you had to write just a really simple explanation of what the play was, 25 words or less, how would you describe the play? How would you sum it up to somebody else that knew nothing about it? So I challenge myself to do that. I think about, you know, the good old English side of things, the themes, the ideas that are being explored. And there might be five or six of those, um, you know, the play, the, the workshops that we did, Nick, uh, for MTC, we were looking at uh, the MTC production of Jasper Jones, which I had nothing to do with, but that we were looking at that as an example and we were looking at, you know, what were the ideas, things like growing up, being the outsider, friendship, first love, family conflict, you know, trying to look at all of the different ideas that were in there, the historical and social and political context. And I think and the those three are really different, those three contexts. Yeah. It's important to understand that you yeah. have to look at those three, you can't just pick one that all three absolutely you know and um i think you know particularly something like jasper jones you know one of the things that came up when i was looking at the political context was like the indigenous referendum in 1967 like you know that this was really this this was said in 1969 um and indigenous australians had just been given the vote two years earlier you know and that just says so much because we can forget sometimes you know we're looking at the play through our modern lens. Um, we might not really take into account all of those sort of nuanced, um, different ideas within that context or. And that would literally be, you know, Googling and researching, wouldn't it? When you talk about looking yeah. at the context, you just have to go out and research those things. They're not going to come at you and they're not, they might not be in the play itself. The writer, no, the playwright right. might not say that. You just have to research to find out. That's right. Yeah. You just have to do it yourself or you might, you know, I guess there could be cliff notes or there could be, you know, I'm sure there's, there, there might be education notes for, for a previous production or, you know, um, but yeah. Worth looking just, at those things that are happening at that time when the play yeah. was written, what was going yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. So. And you know, um, it's even in, even plays that are written now still have a, uh, historical and social and political context and that's I think you know a lot to do with who the playwright is and um, yeah and I guess the political content of the work as well. Um, the most important question I think um, for someone who's about to put on a play to ask at that stage when we're looking at the context is what is the relevance of this play in the here and now like why would why do people need to see this play? Um, if it hasn't been written now, and it's not an Australian play particularly, you know, are we just doing it just for the sake of it, just because we've got to have a school production or just because, um, just because we want to, just art for art's sake? Or is there actually, you know, a reason beyond that? Can we find a reason beyond that, that we think that this is an important piece of work? as artists um, for the world to see and respond to. And the more you dive into it, you're likely to, to find that joy if you spend more time looking into it. You know, I yeah. recently read to someone about their interpretation of, of Mamma Mia and they weren't terribly excited before they took it on. And then they, they took, did a deep dive. 
and they found some some beauty in there and some truth in there that actually kept them captivated for the whole process. Yeah, and I think that's a really important thing for for you know because yeah, some some um, schools may not have a choice about what show you get, you've got to put on. You, you know, it's going to be Greece this year, and you think, oh God, I've got to do Greece again. <laughs> um, how do you make it relevant? How do you make it sort of you know um, feel like a important piece of art? I think it's an important. I think it's an important lesson for students um, to, yeah, to to think about what they are contributing when they're putting their art in, out into the world. It's not for us as artists. It's not only for us as artists. Um, it's you know, it's it's got to meet the world somewhere and and have some kind of effect. Absolutely. And that's the number one important question for you, the here and the now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I probably go into looking at the characters, looking at all of the different characters, obviously like who the protagonist is and what their journey is and who the antagonist is, or if there are more than one, maybe um, an antagonist can be positive or negative. You know, some people just think of the antagonist as being the bad guy or the villain, but you know, I, I think of antagonist as anyone who, um, who the, the protagonist comes up against and challenges them to change in some way. So, you know, an antagonist can be encouraging you, you know, an, an antagonist can be, um, you know, can be a love interest. It can be, yeah, it doesn't just have to be a bad guy that's trying to thwart you <laughs> in some way. And you have um, these things maybe up on a wall. Would you have these in a spreadsheet? Would you have yeah, these things available yeah. to you all the time? What would you do? I'd have a, I'd have them in a notebook mm-hmm. um, if I was working on a show. But if um, if I was working in a school context, um, I I think that this is a really good brainstorming uh, activity to do with as many members of the company as possible, and take some time at the beginning and get everyone's input into what they think you know, about the characters and the context and all that kind of thing. Yeah, and that's something you can return to throughout. Yeah, yeah, and it might be nice to have a visual representation. For me, I'd, yeah, I'd probably just keep it in the notebook though. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't have a... it up on the wall. Yeah. Come back and haunt me later. Yeah. Um, Especially when it shifts and changes, but that's okay. That's the yeah. of the beast. Yeah, and I think um, looking at the function, like looking at the narrative function of all of the characters as well, um, you know, when when you're an actor, you you look at the you know you often will look at the play through the lens of the character that you're playing. So you know, I know we I certainly used to do that thing when I was at school, when you know you'd get the play and you just put the pages forward and go, oh, this is my bit. Look at the lines that I read. Oh, yep, go to the next bit. That's all I'm interested in. That's just my character um, and how much they speak. <laughs> um, whereas as a director, you know, you really have to have that global view of the characters um, and how and why the playwright needed to have that character. What was their purpose? How do they function? Do they give us comic relief? Um, do they mirror our protagonist in some way? Do they, you know, do they, are they a symbol of something really important? And obviously that's no good for an actor. I mean, you can't play a symbol. That's not really a helpful directing though. Um, but, but being aware of your role in the story and how to serve yeah. the story can, can really help you. And when it's your time to shine and your, I mean, it's always time to shine, but when it's your moment and how to use that moment in order to serve the story. 
Yeah, and I think that that can really help um, with casting as well when you have a really, um, you know, clear view of all of the characters and, um, you know, what, and what they're there for. Absolutely. So yeah. once, once you've looked at the, the context and those characters, is that when you start thinking about the structure of the piece or is that part of structure part of character as well? Yes. Um, so I like to look at the structure in terms of like, you know, what kind of, whether it falls within like a three act structure or a five act structure and try and divide up the scenes. I usually move now to move away from my notebook, move towards a spreadsheet uh, and start cataloging all of the scenes um, you know, what, how many, you know, what page numbers they're on, which characters are in them, what location the scene is in, and then, um, you know, looking at how many, and then starting to sort of break down how many scenes are we before we move into the second act and how many, how many scenes in the second act before we move into the third act, when's the climax, how long does it last for, all of that sort of thing. You know, not all plays uh, work in that sort of traditional three-act or five-act structure. A lot of them are, especially, you know, when you look at the sort of eclectic style, mm -hmm. they might be, um, you know, linear, non-linear or circular or, you know, you might have parallel kind of structure going on. But I think that that's really helpful to look at. Um, and and are also, you happy to give a brief you know, description of a three-act structure or a five-act structure or what may go into each of those, just for yeah. those who haven't come across those expressions before? Yeah, so a three-act you know, three structure. I, my um, terminology, which is very technical, um, <laughs> that I use is um, I was taught to me by a teacher once, a Meisner teacher. Um, he called it um, Act 1 is Make It Matter. Act two is make it messy and act three is make it meaningful. So, you know, first act exposition, we want, we want to know, we want to care about these people and what's happening to them. The second act is when the problem comes along. I mean, I'm doing this with my, with my grade one in homeschooling at the moment, beginning, middle, end of the story, like it's so simple. And then obviously, you know, the third act, you get the resolution, make it meaningful, get, send them home with something. I think, you know, in many ways, the five-act structure is, is similar. It just breaks it down a bit more into the rising, I think it's Freitag, is it, or um, pyramid of, like, um, exposition, and then I think it's called rising action. Starting with the prologue, the characters and the settings, and then conflict, rising action, possibly a climax, then the falling action, and then... Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, exactly right, and into the, the tone and the moral. So we understand what happens there from falling action. Um, so Yeah, it can be hard sometimes to put, put um, plays... Uh, you know, to really analyse a play into a five-act structure. Not all of them. And I think many plays are written like that. It's more that film structure, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I just tend to go with the three-act works for me most of mm. the time, even if things kind of maybe might not fit perfectly. You mm. get a sen general sense of it. And um, I'm really into naming scenes. Um, so rather than calling it scene... 12 or whatever and everyone ruffling through their pages and going what what's scene 12 again um naming a scene and um i read this great book uh which i highly recommend called um the director's craft by katie mitchell um and she talks about naming scenes in a way that um they don't relate to 
any particular character. So there's no actor that's going to feel like, um, oh, well, this isn't about me. This is, you know, say if I call the scene um, Charlie and Jasper's altercation or something like that. All of the actors that might be involved in that scene that aren't playing the role of Charlie or Jasper will be like, oh, okay, well, this has got nothing to do with me. I'm just going to stand here. <laughs> Maybe or feel not feel as much ownership over the scene. So naming a scene something that can mean something to any character. Um, yeah, so I think some of the ones that I came up with for Jasper Jones were like, uh, one was called Superheroes, one was called The Hole, one was called Ballroom Fantasy, one was called Peach Triumph. So just something where you go, oh, okay, that's the, that's the, um, the sort of crux of the scene, I guess. Um, and I had a teacher tell me once, uh, I think is a really great, like coming up with like a, or you could even have a longer description and they called it like the popcorn description. Like if you were at a movie and someone went out to get popcorn and then they came back and they whispered to you, what happened? You like want to explain it in the least words possible because you don't want to be heard talking by other people in the theatre. So you just say the minimal, what, what they need to know that happened so that they can keep up with the story and trying to, you know, distill scenes down to that sort of basic action. What was that scene's function? How, you know, in the, in the play as a whole is a good way of looking at it, I think. Absolutely. And if you have that confidence to be able to talk about each moment of the play in that way, if we are studying to be directors and that's what we're looking at, then what a, yeah. what a powerful way to be able to reflect on the piece. Yeah. And that's, you know, obviously that's, like I said before, like you bring it really down to analysis, just, you know, what's written on the page, not, you know, what it is necessarily to me, but what it is to, on the page to anyone. Awesome. Yeah. And, and then you think about the events of the play. Is that what you think about next? Yeah. So um, this is again um, from Katie Mitchell's book, which I, yeah, which it was, has been really great resource for me. Um, so she talks about the, uh, the trigger event. Um, so trying to think about something that happened um, before the play began, which kind of sets the wheels in motion for everything that happens within the course of the play. And for some things, some plays, it's really obvious. I mean, um, you know, in Jasper Jones, for example, sorry, massive spoiler alert, um, you know, the girl is dead. Jasper finds the girl dead. And that's the trigger event that starts the whole play. I mean, this is again, where you get into a little bit of interpretation because often people will, will have different ideas about um, what what might be the trigger event. Say with Macbeth, I would say Scotland wins the battle. That's the trigger event um, that kind of sets the next bit in motion, which sets the next bit in motion, which sets the next bit in motion, all that kind of thing. And then also looking at sort of the key events um, that happen throughout the play. And this is where you can get really, it can get really difficult to to figure out exactly what is an event, but um, the way that it's defined is that basically it's a moment in the action when a change occurs and this change affects everyone present. So for actors, it often means that it might change their character's objectives. Most entrances and exits that happen in the middle of a scene could be seen as an event that, you know, that what's happening in the scene is going to change um, depending on who leaves or comes into that scene. Um, but also could be like new information arriving or some kind of revelation that happens. 
uh, and those events are going to alter the tempo of the scene. Um, but for a director, you can really use these events once you identify them to map out the, your, the play, that how it's going to maybe be like sort of the emotional um, structure of the play when you, those really key moments are going to happen. And uh, it can really help crafting, sort of thinking about how you're going to craft the play from a design point of view or from a directorial point of view. Absolutely. Answering those key questions is going to be the secret to your interpretation and your vision. Yeah, absolutely. Because everyone's going to have within reason a different answer to those yeah. questions. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, yeah, that's, I think, a really good way to start your interpretation before sort of, yeah, putting the, the horse before the cart, putting the cart before the horse even, mm. and going, you know, going straight into the sort of, you know, all of the big visual ideas that you have I guess maybe I'm not a very visual person so this kind of method really works for me um, to think about it all from the inside and kind of build it from there I understand it wouldn't be for everyone but I think it's a really good tool for students because um, there's so much you know there's so much analyzing that they have to do in terms of looking at performances in theatre studies I'm talking about mm -hmm. um, uh, and then there's so much in interpreting of scripts that they need to do so it's just like another little tool I think that really helps those things I think that if you can interpret um, if you can analyze a script and really be able to forensically look at the script like a detective and mine out all of the clues from the playwright um, then you're that's really going to put you in a good place for starting to build your interpretation and if you can analyse a script like that, I think analysing a live performance is, a, you know, is easier as well. Yeah, because you can do this in reverse for a show that you've seen. Yeah, that's Absolutely. right. Um, yeah. And, if, and even if, you, as you said, some people maybe are more visual or instinctual or spontaneous in regards to their design, it's not like any of this would hinder you as a director. Knowing any no. of this information isn't going to have a negative end result for you to know more and, and have a passionate understanding of the story and, and what story you're trying to tell and why it's important to you and why it's important to the here and now and what yeah, it's actually right. about. Like, I don't see how that could have a negative effect. On, no, I guess some people, some people might just find it counterintuitive or a bit um, boring, I guess, or, you know, um, I might not feel like it's, yeah, it's helpful for them. Yeah, let me explore it when I'm in the space only. I don't really yeah. think about it when I'm not working on it. Yeah, possibly yeah. if that's the, if that's what they do. But um, yeah, I think, I mean, these are vital tools. I, I use all of these tools. So uh, and they've been instrumental to me understanding how to work as a director. So working with you and, and listening to you and hearing how you design and think about theatre has been a game changer for me. Ah, oh, thanks, Nick. Well, back at ya. <laughs> you. I've, I've already stolen quite a few of your things and used them. So, yeah. Perfect. I can pay back 1%. That's great. <laughs> uh, and and, yeah, and that, that's great that that's part of your pre-planning process. And then you just get to create your interpretation after that. You get to, you have a solid foundation to build on. Yeah. And I just feel like, um, you know, that those rehearsal minutes or hours that you have with with the actors no matter what context you're working like whether you're working in MTC or whether you're working in a school context those hours are precious because to get all of those people together um, and working um, 
you know, you really want to use that time well. Um, and I think some people might think, oh, I don't want to do, you know, it's so time consuming, spending so much time in pre-rehearsal. But I think that the time spent in pre-rehearsal, you know, really grappling with all of these um, sort of ideas can save you time in, um, in rehearsal because it, it really helps you to um, focus in on what, what you're trying to do and, um, you know, just, yeah, really spend, spend that time well, not spend long, a long time on things that are maybe less important to your vision or your interpretation, I guess. Yeah, and if you present your clear vision to the creative team and the company, and then you're working with that clear vision, there can still be disagreements and conversations. And it doesn't mean just because you've done this work that that's the end. Things are still discovered in the rehearsal room and, oh, yeah, and conversations ahead. So um, in, having this work done is only just going to give you the strength to, to make clear choices and have conversations and talk with some kind of integrity, right? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, the nature of playwriting is, you know, that a playwright is writing an invitation, you know, they're, 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 they're writing half of the story and they're, you know, waiting for a creative team to come along and, um, and fill in the gaps and fill in the rest. So, you know, I, I don't believe that there's just one, you know, one correct way or one correct response. I just think that it's, yeah, it's really important to um, spend time with the, the script and let it tell you, you know, what it has to tell you in as much detail as possible. Beautiful. Well, what a sensational glimpse into the world of, of what directors really do. Um, this, this time that you've spent giving your advice and your experience to the podcast is deeply appreciated. Um, thank oh, you thanks, so much Nick. for giving us your time, Susie Thomas. Thanks so much, Nick. I love your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I'll keep that in too. Well, that is all from us at The Aside. A huge thanks to Susie Thomas for giving us her time. The Aside podcast has recently hit 60,000 listens, so thank you to all the people out there that listen each week, sometimes monthly, or every so often. Every listen counts, and we really appreciate everyone out there giving The Aside a go. You make it all possible. There is a huge range of episodes in the bank, so feel free to go through those and find one that piques your interest. If you would like to ask us a question, please do not hesitate to do so at asidepodcast at outlook.com. We answer a number of emails each week. Thank you to Aaron Searle for providing the music, to Eltham College for letting us record here, to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support, and of course, thank you for listening. <laughs>